Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Mirchelle. How was your week? Excellent. How about you? It's okay. Yeah, I'm a little busy. Yeah, me too. Everyone Crazy, is. actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this week, we're going to be talking to Susan Howard about bottle rejection. Oh, good. Which I had a problem with that with Summer. Actually, mm-hmm. she rejected the bottle when I went back to work, and yeah. it was not fun. <laughs> I've heard my babies took both breast and bottle really well, mm-hmm. but I've heard of people having a lot of difficulty with that and the mm-hmm. stress that it brings mom if she's going back to work can be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before we do that, let's do our favorite of the week. Oh, good. Okay. I'm going to tell you what my favorite of the week is. <laughs> Go for you it. You can't laugh at me I will or not you can. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. TikTok. <laughs> Okay, I'm laughing. <laughs> and to be fair, okay, Aww. I originally joined TikTok to spy on my teenagers. Absolutely. And they sense all, you know, they're not stupid. They've blocked me. <laughs> Just like they have on Instagram and Snapchat and whatever. Oh, that's a riot. So I was on it for a while, but not really doing it. Like I wasn't on it. I was just kind of occasionally checking out the kids stuff. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, no, you have to look at the animal videos. They're super cute. And I'm like, okay, I like animals, but I don't like like animals. (laughs) You're not like puppies a lot. Give me puppies. I started looking at a lot of the horse accounts because I grew up running horses in the ranch accounts. And oh, my goodness, it is so addicting. (laughs) It is a huge time suck. And every time I open the app, I have to like set a timer on my phone or my watch. Because otherwise, like an hour and a half later, I'm still like <laughs> scrolling through videos. And the videos are so good. Oh, They're so, so good. good. And I even started to put up a couple of my own about like breastfeeding and oh, wow. birth. But That's great. Yeah. I don't know how the algorithm works. So like right now I'm yeah. getting a lot of makeup videos in my feed ah. and ranch videos, ah. like cowboys and... <laughs> Cows and sheep. I'm not really sure what to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get a lot of um, travel ones too. Oh, wow. And the travel ones are amazing because they use yeah. drones. Ooh. So they can take awesome videos of themselves, like standing on cliffs and stuff. And it's wow. pretty amazing. So I don't know. Like, I would recommend it highly. I think it's a lot of fun to flip through the videos. Yeah. But just be careful because you can easily go down a rabbit hole and not come out for like hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and my kids get so embarrassed because, you know, they have certain songs that trend on uh-huh. TikTok and they'll hear me on TikTok because they'll hear one of the songs playing <laughs> or they'll see me trying to make like a video dancing to the song and they're like, you are so embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> like, right. yeah. I mean, you know, we do have to give them reasons for therapy later in life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, TikTok is just teenagers, which I think it mostly is, but there is a surprising amount of adults on there as well. They even have hashtags like over 30 TikTok or moms of TikTok, things yeah. like that. So. Yeah. I've seen some people start getting into it who are more our age group, but I'm mm-hmm. like, I have no idea anything about it. Grace loves it. Yeah. But 
I have no clue. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. There's like a woman I follow. She's a video coach. So she teaches people how to feel comfortable like making videos for their business. Nice. And I've learned like a lot of like free content from her. That's nice. So that is my current obsession of (laughs) the week, (laughs) which is kind of embarrassing, but there it is. (laughs) Oh, that's a riot. All right. What is your favorite of the week? It's been a favorite for a while and I was telling you about it and I've told other people about it. It's a website. I follow her on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm all social social media. Um, The Leaky Boob, Mm. which is a wonderful, wonderful resource for breastfeeding support. And they've expanded more than just breastfeeding support. They started another one. She and her husband, I'm not sure if it was just her husband who started or just, or the two of them, I'm not sure. But Another one, which is we're all human here. So they talk about like real life stuff with families and they, she does a ton of support for breastfeeding, really accurate, excellent information. Just, it's such a supportive community and then to expand in more family life. And then on Friday nights, they do something, they do like a Facebook live mm-hmm. where muddled. And so they do like um, family, like a cocktail of the week because they've got a whole bunch of children. And so they have one who's 21 and above. I think they live in Oregon. And so if you're in Oregon, like they talk about the rules there, your child can drink who's underage as long as you're mm-hmm. with them and you're responsible and so forth. And so they're teaching their kids like safe drinking and about different kinds of alcohol. They talk about everything from getting on each other's nerves, how to apologize, how to let your children argue with you in a respectful way so that they can stand up for themselves and family life and whatever. I have found myself in love with them, even though I am no longer breastfeeding and I'm far away removed from that. And Mm -hmm. most of my children are grown. My youngest is the only one at home and she's 15. I have found like a safe haven for myself in their community. So Anyway, check them out. It's the Leaky Boob and we're all human here. Follow them on social media. Try to support them if you can. They've left a mainstream work to build this as something that they're doing for the community. So there are people, including myself, who donate monthly, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a dollar or $5 a month just to help them Mm -hmm. pay their bills. They have eight children from tiny baby all the way up to 21 Anyway, I have found them to be a wonderful resource and a huge support in my own life mm-hmm. across the country. So check them out. Are they on Instagram? I think I do follow them yeah. on Instagram, but yeah. I'm not like, I see their pictures that they post, but yeah. I don't like click on their profile. Yeah. I really need to. And they're on yeah. Facebook too. They, they do their lives. That's awesome. Yep. We need like more content like that. That's <sighs> less about like, look at my perfect life Yeah, and more about like, this is how imperfect we are and this is how we work with that and how that's okay. That's right. That's right. Family support versus just, it feels like everybody narrows in, but the truth is, it's like, if you look at, you know, all of these things as a holistic idea, you know, Mm -hmm. it should be a whole family kind of effort and information and support Mm -hmm. because one thing affects the other. Right. I think we need to follow more of that. 
Right. And it's because I feel like Instagram, like social media in general has been a double-edged sword because we're so connected to each other now and the world is much smaller because of the internet and social media, but also like depending on who you're following, you know, if you're only following people who post perfection, everything and present this perfect life, then your self-esteem goes down, especially if you're a teenager. But if you're following people who are real and people who are down to earth and saying like, look at my messy house or there's someone, I can't even remember who, because this was like maybe three years ago. It must have been a friend that I had on Facebook. She posted a picture of her closet, which was like absolute chaos and spilling out. And she was like, I can't be the only one with a closet like this in my house. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole comment section was just people posting pictures of their horribly chaotic, messy closets. And it was really nice to see that we're all all on the same boat. Yep. Perfect. So anyway, follow them, check them out. If you can support them, if it's something you feel convicted about, I certainly did. I love them. And I think their work is exquisite. I kind of wish I could be adopted in their family, but I think I'm older than both of them. Yeah, that's okay. You can you still ask them to adopt you. <laughs> exactly. Take me away. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's go into our next segment. Yeah. Um, questions from our listeners. This week's question is regarding alcohol and breastfeeding. So there's a mom and she has a two month old and she has a wedding coming up and she's wondering if it's okay to have some like a glass of champagne or a drink at the wedding while she's breastfeeding. She says she's heard different things that you can't, that you can, that you have to pump and dump. And she's also wondering about those test strips that you can buy to test the alcohol level in your milk. Have you heard of those? Yes, I have heard of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard quite a bit of discrepancy versus whether they're worth it or not, whether they're accurate or not. So Mm -hmm. yes, I've been, you know, this is a long-term conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Big thing that people are constantly bringing up. Yes. This is a very common question. I've seen them giving it out at baby showers. Yeah. The boxes, strips. So I'll just address that part of the question. The strips are a total sham. Right. And don't waste your money. They're kind of like, they're like, they might be fun. Like um, some colleagues and I were testing them by dipping in shots of vodka and that was a fun night. (laughs) 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 And it was all over the place. There's no scientific research or data to back up that those strips are effective at all. They're kind of like the urine test at CVS that you can buy that's supposed to tell you if you're having a boy or a girl. Yeah, those are completely wrong. There's a 50-50% chance of it being accurate, so that's pretty good odds. But So if you bought those strips, return them, save your money. Don't buy them as a gift for anyone unless you want it to be kind of like a gag gift. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And hand them a bottle of champagne for when the baby's born. Yes. Yep. So did you, did you drink alcohol when you were breastfeeding? I did. Yeah, I did. I did too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a huge heavy drinker. So it was mm-hmm. always like not a big deal for me, mm-hmm. but I did. I mean, I drank before I knew I was pregnant. <laughs> most of us have. Right. You know, yeah. like, shoot. I was at that wedding. Yeah. Dang. Two weeks right. ago and whatever, but yep, I did. And my babies were mm-hmm. fine. Of course, I had never been a huge drinker, so it's never an issue, but it is an issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about yourself? Right. Yes, I did. And I do want to clarify from the get-go that we are talking about occasional drinking. Mm-hmm. Occasional drinking is very different from chronic drinking 
where you're drinking three or more drinks a night every night, basically. Mm -hmm. That type of heavy drinking can affect your baby's brain growth and your milk supply and a whole, and just isn't safe. You shouldn't be drinking that heavily if you're trying to take care of a baby. Right. But when we are talking about an occasional glass of wine or beer or drink at a wedding or when you're out on the night with your friends, that's okay. Mm -hmm. The amount of alcohol that gets into your milk is less than 2% of whatever you drink. Mm -hmm. So it's not like your milk is going to be dangerous for the baby. Sometimes in some women, it can inhibit the letdown. So Mm -hmm. the baby has to work a little harder to get the milk and some babies can get really pissed off about that. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're just having an occasional glass of wine or beer, it's not really an issue. You don't have to pump and dump. That's old advice that we Mm -hmm. don't recommend anymore. Thank goodness. Right. Um, It's completely out of your system in two hours anyway, out of your milk. So if you have one drink within two hours, it's gone. So if you feed your baby, then have the drink within the time the baby's hungry again. Right. It's pretty much not an issue. But even if your baby wakes up earlier than expected and wants to eat, um, it's not an issue. So you don't have to buy the test strips. You don't have to pump and dump. But don't get drunk and try to breastfeed your baby. Right. Oh, dear God, no. That's the dangerous part with drinking and breastfeeding, not the breast, what goes into the breast milk, but how neurologically impacted you feel. Mm -hmm. So there are some rules that I hear in mom's group, like if you're sober enough to drive, you're sober enough to breastfeed. I get a little weary with that one because we Mm -hmm. have such high variety or range of tolerance. Right. But basically just use common sense. If you're too drunk to hold your baby, you can't breastfeed your baby. Right. So yeah, that answers that question. Great. Yay. Very so, good. Thank you for that question. That, that was, was a great a good one. Question. And we'll be right back with um, Susan Howard. Hey, everyone. I know that having a baby can be a little overwhelming and confusing. If you're looking for a place where you can get all your childbirth prenatal education needs, visit ShellyTaftIBCLC.com. Nicole and I are offering right now an online virtual childbirth educating education class, a prenatal breastfeeding class, and we're soon launching a prenatal newborn care class and a prenatal sleep education course. So you can learn all about infant sleep even before the baby comes. So I'm going to drop that link in the notes and you can check it out and we hope to see you there. I'm so excited to introduce Susan Howard, International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, and she is going to talk to us today about building bottle feeding skills and overcoming bottle rejection. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us. Yes, welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me. I love talking about bottles, so I'm excited to be here. Can you give us a little background about yourself and your practice and how you got into helping families with bottles? Sure. So my background actually started in public health as a public health educator. Um, So this COVID stuff is very exciting from a public health perspective and taking that on that nursing was a second degree for me. Um, And I was in a labor and delivery nurse for a couple of years that morphed into a childbirth educator that morphed into breastfeeding or passion for breastfeeding and then morphed into really pursuing the um, IBCLC. Um, I've been a lactation consultant for 10 years, and I've had a private practice for about eight years now. I'm located outside of Washington, D.C., so my population, well, pre-COVID that I worked with, was sort of your big city um, base, that COVID has really changed, changed a lot of things for many of us, um, finding that I'm really able to help people in so many different 
um, areas across the country and even internationally. I've had some done some bottle work with families um, in the past couple of months. So it's been really exciting. That's awesome. So you're doing a lot of like virtual consults right now? And I was super hesitant about how we could support and do bottle skills work virtually. Um, I have, my practice was largely based on home visits prior to COVID. And when we switched to a virtual format, it, it works. I'll tell you, it really, really challenges you to choose your words carefully and really coaching families. I think that's a big part of bottle skills. It is teaching the parents how to support and help their baby. Mm-hmm. And as a, my background is in public health, my background is an educator. And for me, it's kind of an amazing sort of mesh of, of skill sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I saw you <laughs> present, um, you were speaking at the LCMPP conference. So that's a conference for lactation professionals. And you did a presentation for us on how to help family build bottle skills. And I was just completely blown away by your presentation. It was so great. The videos you had were so good. And just the way that you talk to the families in your videos and communicate with them was amazing. And I had been doing bottle consults at that point. But the skills that you taught me to teach the parents has changed the game for me. With bottle consoles, I used to, to be honest, kind of hate them. (laughs) Like I did them, but I hated doing them. And now I kind of like get excited when I get them because I have all this new skill set to teach parents thanks to you. So when I was thinking about doing an episode on the bottles, you were the first person that came to mind. Oh, yay. I love that. I love that. I like bottle consults. They're a little different. Um, we're still using the same skill sets of assessing the baby, assessing the family. You know, there's a lot of education that goes into it. I like to think of bottle skills as requiring, you know, kind of three things that we need to have a competent baby who has good oral motor skills and sucking skills a good fit bottle. Not all bottles fit all babies. Not all bottles are the right um, style or flow or texture or shape for all babies. And having an informed caregiver who is skillful at reading the baby and comes at it with some knowledge on how we can help this baby learn to take a bottle besides just popping it in their mouth and hoping for the best that they'll suck on it and be happy. Mm. And how did you think to start to offer this service to families? Because I think most families would not think to call a lactation consultant when they need help with bottles, right? I first got interested in bottles by leading a support group and people would ask questions about bottle skills. And some of it was just rather intuitive to me that different bottle shapes were helpful. Um, Reading uh, Mindy Harmon's book and, uh, or Mindy Peterson, help me on that one. Um, their book is a great resource and it just seemed very, it just clicked in my head. I think also taking some advanced training in building sucking skills and just pulling from these various areas. Deborah Swank was also a really good resource when she was talking about how babies learn and it just kind of started coming together mm-hmm. in my head. Good. What kinds of issues do you see mostly with bottle feeding? See families, by the time I meet them, often that they've read the internet and they've tried a 
bajillion different ideas and they're very confused because they've tried everything that they've read and sometimes the conventional suggestions that are out there aren't really based on helping babies build skills. There's a lot of bottle hopping I see. Families have spent a large amount of money um, buying every bottle on the market. There's a lot of marketing that goes into buying and choosing bottles. And one of the similarities I see about some of the most heavily marketed bottles are they have really big, broad shoulders. So if you look at an, a bottle in front of you and you'll see the nipple teeth sticking up, the teeth is that technical term for the part that goes in the baby's mouth. And then it has like 80s style shoulder pads on it. <laughs> it reminds me of. And it requires the baby to open their mouth wide and they pretty quickly come back down to a fairly small pursed lip. Their lips might be flanged, but what's happening inside their mouth is a fairly small piece. And babies who are breastfeeding well have to have their mouth open wide, right? So sometimes going back and forth is difficult. And I find bottles that have a, that the shoulderless bottles are a little bit easier. And those are the ones that I typically start with. Mm. Um, Not all families are interested in trying yet another bottle. And I'll often ask, are you interested? Are you willing to try a different bottle style? Because we'll talk about what are the bottles that they have out on the counter? Which ones have you tried? We talk about how they all have these similar characteristics. And then I'll usually show them a shoulderless bottle. Um, examples of a shoulderless bottle might be the Dr. Brown's, the standard narrow neck. Even Flow has one of their newer bottles, has a oh, okay little more shoulderless bottle here. Um, the Lansano bottle nipple also is a shoulderless. Juby boobs, another one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. oftentimes switching to a different bottle style is helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm glad that you brought that up because you're right. People do look at the broad shouldered bottles and thinking that would be more supportive for breastfeeding. I've seen that a hundred times. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was good. Yeah. Or the bottles that are marketed to look like the breast, yeah. which I find tend to be not great <laughs> when you're working on bottle skills. Would you agree? Uh, I totally agree with you on that. And there's a lot of marketing and recognizing that many families are choosing their bottle or their bottle system before the baby has arrived. Right. And they haven't had a chance to even meet the baby and see what are their sucking skills? What are their, you know, it's like choosing a wedding dress before you've even met the bride. Right. I like that. Right. Yeah. 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 So if you were talking with a family prenatally, would you just kind of suggest that they hold off on buying a whole bunch of bottles until after the baby's here? Yes. Although occasionally it is helpful to have a bottle available and in the house Mm -hmm. if supplementation is needed. And not all families have access to great lactation consultants or help really early on. And sometimes it just becomes a matter of we have to be the baby. Mm -hmm. Right. So I do think it's helpful to have a shoulderless bottle available in the beginning if we need to. Right. And I, I like that you mentioned the even flow balance and the, the Lansano because I happen to carry those bottles in my console bag um, because of the same reason that you said that they don't have the abrupt shoulders 
with the skinny nipple that just kind of pops up. I do find a lot of babies will chomp when they, when they are on the shoulders, the shoulder bottles or the breast, the made to look like the breast bottles. I find them tend to bite down more. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of times those bottles also have a firmer nipple and that activates their phasic bite reflex. So they are a little bit more tempted to bite down on it. And if you bite on a nipple, it will still give milk. So it ends up reinforcing a pattern. So when baby goes back to breast, a lot of times we will have some more biting behaviors. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite tips that I like to share with families are to begin with a fed and rested baby. Mm -hmm. If your baby's having a hard time with bottles, it's really hard to learn when you're hungry and and cranky too. Right. Mm -hmm. And families often think that letting baby get good and hungry will motivate them to want to take the bottle. But thinking about my own experiences when I'm hungry, I have zero patience for trying to learn a new skill. And that's what we're asking babies who are struggling with bottles is what we're working on a new skill. And it's hard. Right. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you wouldn't send your kindergartner off to school like hungry and expect them to be able to learn everything that they need to learn. We send them off making sure that they're well fed, that they've had a great breakfast, that they are more conducive to learning. So the same thing with babies. Mm-hmm. And like you, Susan, I'm very, I get hangry quick. Right. <laughs> so like I need to eat before you try to teach me anything. Right, now. right. How about nipple flow? What are your thoughts with nipple flow? That's a big question too. What size, you know, nipple are we getting? I like to stay with the slower flow nipples, mostly because You know, while breasts sometimes have a variability in flow, but the marketing that goes into nipples leads us to believe that at three months, we need a medium flow and at six months, we need a faster flow, but our breasts don't magically start flowing faster at three months and at six months. Mm -hmm. And it can occasionally lead to preferences for bottles, but for our babies who are struggling with bottles, they need a little time to adapt and having that slower flow gives them um, some some skills to work with. And when it comes to introducing or helping a baby who's struggling with bottles, I like to take a step back and really work with just an empty bottle nipple. And that means unscrewing the bottle, the container from that collar so that we just have the nipple. And at that point, I like to encourage families, let your baby see it, touch it, feel it. Babies latch, our younger babies latch by feeling the breast on their face. And babies are going to do the same thing if we take a step back and allow them to put their hands on it. Our older babies, they are often instinctively bringing the bottle to their mouth. They are, or they'll instinctively bring their hands to their mouth. They'll bring things to their mouth. So by placing the bottle nipple in their hand and letting them touch it and kind of like our partners or spouses, sometimes when they think it's their idea, it goes a lot smoother. So if I can entice a baby to want to bring the bottle to their mouth and start exploring it, I can begin making some inroads with that. The other piece of this is allowing your baby to explore that empty bottle nipple. We often make an assumption that milk is a motivator, but for a baby who's struggling with a bottle, milk is the stressor Mm -hmm. because not only are they trying to figure out, I have this thing in my mouth that I'm not really comfortable with. 
I'm trying to figure out where do I put my lips? What do I do with my tongue? And then if there's milk coming out of it, then they have the added challenge of trying to swallow with this thing in their mouth. So backing up and working with a a fed and rested baby, giving them an opportunity to explore, have it in their mouth. They might chew on it. They might move it side to side, but we can help guide them moving that bottle nipple back into the center of their mouth. Mm -hmm. I like to also at this point kind of dispel an old wives tale. Lots of families are worried that if the baby's sucking on that empty bottle nipple, it's going to fill their belly with air. But our belly gets filled with air when we swallow air. Simply sucking on an empty bottle nipple or spending time exploring it does not put air in our belly. We get air in our belly when we gulp or we chug something quickly where we're and we're bringing air and liquid together taking time to explore this bottle nipple in their mouth does not add to gassiness. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I will say almost every single family I work with who are offering bottles are concerned about, you know, when I suggest that they slow the bottle down at least, or have the nipple only half full, that's always the first question. Well, won't they swallow ear and be gassy? And so that's a good explanation. And usually I use the, well, if it's mixed with the milk, then like a carbonated beverage, then that's when we swallow ear as adults. And that's why we burp after we drink like a carbonated beverage. What a great analogy. Yes. But if you're just kind of breathing it in, you're just going to breathe it right out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like for when I'm working with families who are struggling with bottles, I will tell them this phase may take a week um, to kind of get them to the point where we are actively sucking on the bottle nipple and you can hear the squeaks. You can hear the sound of air moving through that tiny little hole and it creates a sound. That's what we want to celebrate. A couple other tips that I often share with families, aside from practicing letting your baby explore the bottle nipple, is that it is something that has to be practiced several times a day. If your baby's struggling with that bottle skills, um, doing it once a day, doing it once a week is not frequent enough. Babies need to have experience with it. So I will often suggest that we keep that bottle nipple near, um, say, either the play area or a changing mat. Obviously, if you're going to do it around changing times, you want to do it before you change the diaper when your hands are still clean. But having your baby play with this, laying it across their lips is another big tip I like to suggest, where you place the tip of the nipple at the base of the nose, and you want their chin touching sort of the collar of the nipple. And we just lay it across the nipple or the lips, and we wait. Mm -hmm. And latching is very similar to this. We talk about nipple to nose and the chin touching the breast very similar. And frequently we just were super patient and we wait for the baby to open their lips. This is like it's self or politeness 101 where you don't just pop a nipple in a baby's mouth and it's so tempting, but it's a little aggressive. Some babies want to take it a little slower. So laying it across their lips, waiting for baby to open and part their lips. That's your invitation that says you can now place it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. 
and kind of giving them that opportunity to experience it. Many babies also benefit from having a little cheek support. And cheek support can be applied by taking your free hand, cupping underneath the chin, a thumb on one side of the cheek, your middle finger on the other side, and that helps close the space inside their mouth. So baby will begin sucking with that. So I know that's getting into the weeds just a little bit more technical tips that I like to say. Mm. I think it's also really important to talk about pressure feeding. It's a technique I see families trying to use because they may have discovered that their baby was struggling with a bottle at six weeks or seven weeks, that if they swaddled their baby, that they could often coax them into taking a bottle. Or if the baby was taking a bottle and was having some fussing in between, that if they would jiggle the bottle in their mouth, that they could keep them going and babies are trying to get away from it. That's what we call pressure feeding, and it can lead to something a little bit more complicated and serious called an aversion, mm-hmm. where babies just start to resist being fed. Another example of pressure feeding is using a bottle that might have a squishy silicone base to it, where families will have the bottle nipple in the baby's mouth and they squeeze it. Mm. And so they're squeezing liquid in. And it is all done in an altruistic manner. We're trying to help the baby feed, but it's a little like getting waterboarded for a baby and it's very stressful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes babies will give us signs that they're stressed. Those stress cues that your baby's having a hard time with the bottle are keeping your eyes on their eyebrows. They'll get a wrinkled, a worried look on their forehead. Their Mm -hmm. eyebrows will go up. Watching their hands that those jazz hands or those splayed fingers and toes Mm -hmm. are signs that uh, your baby is stressed by um, either the way the baby's, either the way the bottle's being presented or the milk flow and backing off just a little bit or rethinking our feeding methods. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that's a really good point about the oral aversion. I do feel like, do you find, because when I am working with families for bottle consults, the first question I always get is, why won't my baby take this bottle? Because as lactation consultants, we always teach brand new parents, like try to avoid offering bottles if possible in the first few weeks because the bottles are so easy. And sometimes that can cause breast rejection. But now we have this baby who the breast is easy and now the bottle is not. And most parents, I feel, tend to want to blame baby's personality, like, oh, he's just stubborn or something like that. What do you think? I think it's a combination. And kind of going back to having a good fit bottle for your baby, um, having a caregiver, parent caregiver, who kind of has an understanding of how we can approach bottles. And occasionally it's about baby's oral structures or their skills at feeding that I find introducing that bottle a little earlier. For a long time, we would say around four to six weeks is a good time to introduce it. But I'm finding that babies will often benefit introducing that a wee earlier, Mm -hmm. maybe three to four weeks. Um, Hopefully we've kind of gotten breastfeeding down. We've got a good supply going. Babies are Adaptive at learning and then being consistent is one of the other things that I find that many families will try doing a bottle at four or six weeks and they're like, yep, baby took it. That was great. Or they'll look back and say, we had to supplement in the early days and baby took a bottle fine. Now we're at mom's on the cusp of going back to work. 
and we're trying to introduce that bottle at 10 or 11 or even 12 weeks, baby wants nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And their skills change. Feeding becomes a little bit more voluntary versus reflexive, like in the very early days. Mm -hmm. And giving baby that opportunity to practice. And bottle skills are just that. They are a skill. It is far better that we maintain a skill. So I might, for example... Well, let me give this example. My children have all dabbled in playing musical instruments. They didn't really have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. And they also consequently didn't really want to practice. Maybe they would pick it up once a week when they had to go to band practice. Golly, it took them a really long time to become competent um, at playing their instrument. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the frequency of maintaining those skills. So earlier introduction. And this is a myth I like to also sort of dispel with families is that offering the bottle, you know, on a fairly regular basis, maybe once a day, once every other day. And my families, you say, I don't want to pump. I don't want to do that. But maintaining a bottle skills, it's not about the volume. So successful bottle skills doesn't mean your baby consumes an entire feeding with a bottle. Mm -hmm. Successful bottle skills means your baby sees it. When it's placed in their mouth, they know what to do with their lips and their tongue. They can create an organized suck. and They swallow it, and it only takes one ounce Mm -hmm. to maintain those bottle skills. Many times if I'm working with a family, I'll ask them, you know, what are your plans for bottles? Do you need your baby to be able to take a bottle? Is there daycare in the future? You know, Are you envisioning that you'll want to be away from your baby at certain periods? And if bottle skills are part of how they envision parenting, I think helping them understand how we can maintain it. For families who may not enjoy pumping, we can talk about doing it either using like a silicone milk collector, like the Haka or something, that we can also incorporate maybe one or two pumps a week and going ahead and preparing a few bottles that have one ounce in them, line them up, put them in your refrigerator, label them Monday, Wednesday, Friday, label them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and think of it as a snack. Think of it as that snack bottle where you really want to finish your shower and baby's losing their mind Mm -hmm. and partners asking or saying, hurry up, they're hungry. (laughs) And having having that snack available And incorporating that as part of our routine can be really helpful at maintaining bottle skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Again, like you said, like you can't get good at anything if you're only trying it once a week. Correct. Right. And when we're in that stage of still working on those bottle skills and we're still not getting consistent squeaks out of the nipple, that that is something we're going to practice three or four times a day. Mm Mm-hmm. And for some families, that's an eye-opener that to help build that competence where when they see the bottle nipple, they'll put their lips on it and that we can create those squeaks. And that's the point when we can start talking about putting milk in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Is there an average amount of time that this process takes or does it really just depend on the baby and the family and how consistent they are? I think it depends there are a lot of variables. So for example, my neighbor had a baby and I was talking with them. Her, the baby's five weeks old and was sort of struggling with some bottles. We were able to pretty quickly in one session sort of just tweak 
our approach, changing the bottle style a little bit, and we had success in an afternoon. Sometimes I find that the older babies, and when I say older babies, I start thinking 8, 10, 12 weeks and up is what I think of as an older baby when it comes to bottle skills. Sometimes it can take a couple of weeks. Yeah. In terms of where we're starting from, occasionally we'll identify some additional problems that contribute to it, torticollis, where baby has a preference to, there's some tension in the neck, or baby has a preference to look off to one side, that those can slow down progress. If we identify perhaps a undiagnosed tongue tie, that can also produce bottle difficulties. And the older babies, whether or not it's an undiagnosed or untreated tongue tie, baby may be feeding okay at breast. Um, parents may say that the baby's feeding fine, but if you look a little closer, sometimes they're not feeding as fine as you and I might describe it, that the baby's popping on and off a lot. Feedings are really messy. Oftentimes, baby has or mother has a really generous milk supply, and so the weight gain hasn't tripped anyone's attention. Many providers look at weight gain, and if weight gain is fine, they're like, well, feeding must be going fine, Mm -hmm. as opposed to taking a closer look at, is the baby really gassy? Are they popping on and off the breast? Mm -hmm. Are feeding still taking 45 minutes when we are, you know, at 12 weeks? Mm -hmm. And some of these other clues are there that are telling us the baby's not feeding as well as we thought. Right. Because other than lactation consultants, there aren't a lot of other providers who will take the time to watch a baby breastfeed to see if feedings are actually going well. So usually you're right. It's just the weight that is an indicator that they use. Um, And I know a lot of families get frustrated about that because they feel like, even if they feel like feedings aren't going well, but their providers are kind of dismissive because they're like, well, Mm -hmm. the baby's gaining weight. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. What other tips for families do you usually recommend? Well, a lot of times we'll talk about, depending on the age of the baby, that I think some introducing teether toys are really helpful for our babies who are um, in that two to three month bracket and older, um, helping babies, you know, explore various teether toys. Teether toys are helpful because then we're using babies' innate abilities where they want to bring toys to their mouth. They want to put it in their mouth. So we're starting to introduce some textures. We're starting to encourage baby to explore these things. One of my favorites is a little mushroom teether. Mm-hmm. It's silicone. It looks like a mushroom, and it has two little nubs that kind of look like mm, antenna, I suppose. The cool thing about this little mushroom is you pull up the mushroom cap, you can place the stem of the mushroom in a baby's hands and then the mushroom cat falls down over their hands and so they don't drop it quite as easily as say a typical two or three month old might Mm -hmm. but they instinctively kind of want to bring it to their mouth and start exploring it and the cool thing about these little nubs on it is that it sort of resembles a soft silicone bottle nipple Mm -hmm. so having baby have an opportunity to explore this is fantastic Mm -hmm. I also encourage, and it helps desensitize a sensitive palate or the roof of the mouth. Sometimes babies have a hard time with that as well if they're not accustomed to um, having lots of things in their mouth. I think tummy time is another big one that I use for helping build bottle skills. Mm-hmm. Tummy time, it sounds so backwards to think about this, but tummy time builds feeding skills, right? Right. 
And when babies lay on their belly and they're prone and they're pushing up, it helps them lift their chin and lift their head and look around. And that helps stretch those muscles that are underneath the chin and the jaw and coming down and connecting to the shoulders and the clavicle. When baby, that's usually part of my care plan that I help families put together is that we're going to really work on tummy time and helping families find a way to incorporate. Our goal is about 60 minutes of tummy time a day. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not consecutive. Families, their jaws kind of drop when I talk about 60 minutes. And a lot of times there's a common theme that babies who are struggling with bottles hate tummy time. Mm-hmm. I see that all the time. Yeah. And I think a big piece of it is a phrase called container baby syndrome, mm-hmm. where we're so heavily, new parents are so heavily marketed into all the different things that they need, all the different places that they can put a baby. And it begins with things like a docketot or a boppy lounger or a swing mm-hmm. or the mamaroo. You can help me name some of these other ones that are out there, but they're places that we put babies. And all of these involve placing our baby on their back, Typically, it puts their chin, they kind of slump forward and their chin is resting on their chest. Mm -hmm. And then when we give them an opportunity to come onto their tummy, they kind of hate it. Mm. They're like, oh, I'm used to being in sort of like a curled up shrimp position. And now you're asking me to open up and extend my body and it's hard. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel the same is true for even breastfeeding issues as well. I feel like I teach almost every family I work with how to do tummy time to incorporate into the plan for improving the breastfeeding skills too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then depending if I'm working with them one-on-one, we may start doing some oral exercises. We can do it to a song. We can make it playful, but having, you know, touching baby's cheeks and circling your fingers around their lips and stretching the inside of their cheeks a little bit. I find that those kinds of things also help empower my, empower parents, um, feeling like I'm doing something to help my baby work on these bottle skills. One of my favorite analogies is if you were to injure yourself or you have surgery or it might be recommended that you have physical therapy and building bottle skills and I think physical therapy have a lot in common that we start working on some Sensory and some motor movements and sensory and motor, meaning um, how we get those muscles to work together and kind of incorporating all of this at one time. We do a little more tummy time. We play with that bottle nipple, that empty bottle nipple. We help wake up the muscles in the mouth and on the face Mm -hmm. because we want those muscles to start working purposefully to take and suck on that bottle nipple and just simply waking them up um, can help build bottle skills. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Okay, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell families where they can find you and learn more about you and your services? Oh, yes. So I have a website. It's arlingtonlactation.com. Some of the various teether toys and bottles that I've mentioned, they are on my website under my favorite things. So if families are specifically looking for those, and maybe you'll put some of those in the show notes, Shelly. Absolutely. And I do virtual bottle consults. Um, I also offer generally once a month, I have a live bottle skills class where families can join me. It's done on Zoom. And I have a lot of video clips in there and I can show families. These are some various approaches that you can take for helping your baby build some bottle skills. Mm -hmm. Some families want to just have a little tutorial. 
after, and if they still feel like they need some one-on-one help, I can do virtual consults and they can schedule those through my website. That's awesome. I love that you do that. Thanks. I'm on Instagram at Susan Howard at IBCLC and Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. That was so informative. Um, I always love hearing you talk about building bottle skills. You can tell that it's a passion of yours because your face just like lights up when you're talking about it. I do love talking about bottle skills. I really do. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Tilly. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.